everyone. Bula! We are uh, super happy to be in uh, Auckland worshiping with you all. Just super encouraged. Uh, this is our first time being in New Zealand. First time being in New Zealand, you know, as a black American who grew up in a small town in Virginia. You know, I've never imagined, I, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that one day I'd visit countries like New Zealand and Australia, even Fiji. You know, it's just, it, it blows my mind. Sometimes I just have to pinch myself because I'm just like, God, oh my goodness, like this, this the chapters that he's opened when it comes to my life. And so I must say that New Zealand is certainly a beautiful country, um, as you know, you guys already know that. <laughs> Very beautiful. You know, just a, a few days ago, if you can see the picture a little bit, that's me and my wife. We went to uh, Cathedral Cove, uh, got to check that out. And, uh, you know, the drive there was beautiful. And it's it's been a long time since I've seen so many cows. It's been a long time. <laughs> you know, So it's been a while, but it was awesome. It was beautiful um, just to drive as a whole. And so first and foremost, um, I want to thank God for just being able to be here with you all this morning. Definitely want to thank God. Secondly, I want to thank Dave and Megan uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you all this morning. And so thank you so much, uh, Dave and Megan. You know, my wife and I have known Dave and Megan for well over a decade. It's been well over a decade uh, as we cross paths on, on many occasions as members of the churches in Virginia and uh, the ACR region of churches. And so, um, you know, my fondest memories of Dave come from, from uh, many annual discipling groups, you know, that we'd sit in together at the ACR staff retreats. And so just as we had these spa staff retreats, we would have these ACR staff retreats. And so we were in uh, D groups together kind of year after year for a number of years, quite a few years. And, and likewise, I have fond memories of seeing him rap at our ACR staff campus retreats. And so you guys probably know a little bit about that, right? Right? You know, so seeing him and I was so fired up about the other song because I, I, I'm a hip-hop head too, if that makes sense. But, but uh, you know, I was kind of like, man, just put some beatboxing behind that song. I got it. So I was thinking about it. I was feeling it. I was feeling it. So, you know, maybe we'll we'll get together, link up. You know, the next spot conference, maybe we can do a number, do a ditty together. That's right. But, um, you know, my family and I, we moved to Fiji, as Dave said, almost two years ago. So this is a picture of us, you know, our first day in, in Fiji, you know, which was uh, May 30. First, uh, two years ago to be exact. And uh, so this is the, the famous kava ceremony, the welcoming ceremony. They were officially welcoming our family onto the island. And so we were, we were fired up about that. That's my wife having some kava. My, my uh, youngest daughter, Sophia, just like, whoa, mom. You know, she's kind of looking at her hard. And then this is uh, Olivia just like, what is going on? Like these people are staring at us and honoring us. And it was a very special day for our family. You know, again, it just seems like yesterday that my family and I were asked to consider moving to the South Pacific, and then here we are nearly two years later, and so um, it's amazing. And so the disciples in Fiji send their regards, you know, so uh, they, they send their regards. There's a passage in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 from the Bible, which reads, The apostles performed many miracles, I'm sorry, uh, performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And uh, I must say that it's been very encouraging 
you know, to see how the Lord has been adding to our number in recent months, I just want to share some pictures of some baptisms that have taken place. And so this is on uh, the 3rd of February. We saw the Lord add Amalia to our number. So you can see her. So this is Amalia pictured right here. And then on the 24th of Feb, uh, the Lord added uh, Chris to our number. So this is Chris. Chris work. You know, Chris work. He's a piece of work. You know, Chris, that's a, that's a joke. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, um, but then on March 3rd, the Lord added a teen. Her name is Lee And so this is Lee right here who was baptized. So we're fired up for our teens uh, to baptize a girl. And then uh, the 4th of April, uh, we saw the Lord add to our number Paul. Paul Thavu, and so this is Paul right here. Um, it was just an amazing uh, baptism. All baptisms are amazing, but what was interesting about this story is that uh, Paul's dad was one of the early disciples who were baptized when the church planting in Fiji took place. And then when Paul Thavu Jr. was about two, his dad had passed away as a faithful disciple. But here we are, you know, 20 plus years later, and to be able to witness him be baptized was just a hugely exciting and emotional moment for many of the disciples who had been in a part of the church for quite a while. And so, uh, but that was Paul Thavu. And then on uh, April, uh, this is the 11th of, of April, we saw the Lord at Israel. So this is Izzy right here. So Izzy's actually from Papua New Guinea. And so we uh, baptize a, a Papua New Guinean who uh, is studying at USP. The University of South Pacific. And then we had on the, the 14th of April, this is Ania, who's a teen guy. We were fired up about that. And then uh, this is a single sister named Tima. So she was baptized. And then uh, just this past, oh no, this is another one. This is Lucy. So she's a student at the University of South Pacific. Um, and so she was baptized. And then just this past Sunday, we baptized Jody Bola. A lot of people make, you know, they, they think his shirt is pretty awesome. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, his name is, <laughs> he said, do you read it? Did my it says, did my sarcasm hurt your feelings? That's what it says. <laughs> That's what he, that's, I told him, I was like, bro, just make sure you don't wear a white t-shirt to your baptism. He's like, I got you, bro. And he showed up wearing this shirt. <laughs> Make sure my sarcasm doesn't hurt your feelings. <laughs> so, um, so this happened uh, just this past Sunday. So, uh, so you know, today there are over a hundred baptized disciples between the two churches in Fiji, and uh, we're just super encouraged. Again, I'm very encouraged about how the Lord has just been adding to our members. So, having said all that, you know, we as churches. Uh, in Fiji, we just completed a sermon series based on a, a spiritual campaign that I put together for the months of Feb and March. And uh, the title of that campaign was Expectation. Expectation. And, and, and in Psalm 62, verse 5, uh, from the Bible, it reads, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. And, uh, you know, the goal of this spiritual campaign was for us as individuals and as churches to consider God's expectations of us, you know, and in some ways to repent and get back on the same page spiritually with God as far as his expectations of us. You know, during the spiritual campaign, we look to the Bible to consider how God expects us to be holy. You know, he expects us to be holy. He expects us to worship him. You know, he expects us to deny ourselves. He expects us to mature. He expects us to be united. He expects us to be generous. He expects us to serve others and he expects us to baptize. Amen. Amen. You know, and so I know for me, I felt like I learned a lot and had grown a lot throughout this spiritual campaign. You know, I was challenged every week when it came to preaching on the different expectations. <laughs> you know, I think the expectation that challenged me the most was the expectation to be generous. 
I'm not naturally generous, so just selfless in that regard. And, uh, you know, I also was really impacted by a sermon done by Brother Atu. I call him Pastor Atu. You might know him, uh, Atu Siwatibau. Uh, and so, uh, Alex, she was baptized uh, in London, but she was here in the church for a number of years before they moved over to Fiji. But, uh, but he did the lesson on expected to mature, and that was just, it was a, a phenomenal lesson that he had did. And so, overall... You know, I was simply encouraged just to see a great number of of churches, uh, church not churches, but uh, members of the church in Fiji just really seek to meet God's expectation in their personal lives. Like, you know, just really considering God's expectations as we talk through them through the sermon series and through D groups and just really seek to really meet God's expectations in their personal lives. And so with that being said, this morning, I'd like to preach on one of the expectations that can can be a challenge for me to meet in my personal life. You know, and I believe that this expectation can perhaps be a challenge for you maybe to meet in your personal life. You know, and so so the title of my lesson, as Dave alluded uh, alluded to earlier, is expected to be humble, expected to be humble. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 66. We're going to talk about how we're expected to be humble. Um, So while you're turning there, before I go any further, let's go ahead and bow our heads in a prayer. Heavenly Father, our great God, you know, I, again, I just can't, can't thank you enough to be a part of your, your kingdom, to be a part of your family, to be adopted as your son, and to be in this room with uh, many whom are your sons and daughters who love you and adore you, but, but just your love and your adoration for us is so much greater. It's just, it's just amazing, God, and just the, the things that you do, the, the doors that you open uh, in our lives, and sometimes the doors that you close, but nevertheless, it's for our benefit. It's to, uh, to our benefit, Father God, and um, I pray that today, as we, uh, you know, sit before you, that we really can contemplate and really meditate on how you expect us to be humble, and just really uh, what, you know, how important humility is before you and uh, towards others. And so be with me as I speak on on your behalf as regards to your your call for our lives to be humble. Thank you so much again for this opportunity. I pray for the churches, uh, the church here in uh, in Auckland and just for it to continue to grow and mature and just the leadership of the church and just, uh, you know, everyone's hearts. May we always be devoted to you in uh, in love and fellowship uh, and in good deeds. We thank you. We love you. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So for anyone who's been a committed Christian. For any length of time, the expectation for us to be humble is non-debatable, right? Non-debatable. As Christians, there's no doubt that us being humble is something that God expects. You know, every Christian is aware of this fundamental expectation. Likewise, every Christian is aware that being proud or prideful, which is the opposite of being humble, can get us into a lot of trouble with God, right? (laughs) Get us into a lot of trouble with God. You know, when it comes to the Bible, there's one particular passage from the Bible that explains the importance of being humble versus being proud. You know, James chapter 4, verse 6 from the Bible reads, God opposes those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. God opposes those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. You know, while I know that me being humble is important, like I know this, and while I know that me being humble is expected, I also know that more often than not, God sees me not being humble. (laughs) Just speaking for myself here. You know, more often than not, God sees me not being humble, whether it be towards him or towards others. You know, I certainly can admit that I'm sometimes not being humble towards God and towards others. 
You know, I'm sometimes not being humble towards God's will for my life. You know, I'm sometimes not being humble towards my wife. I'm sometimes not being humble when it comes to admitting to people that I don't know or, or understand something. Just like I'm just not sure and just just acknowledging that, you know, being humble about it. You know, the list goes on and on as far as the situations involving God and involving others in which I'm flat out just not being humble. Now, raise your hand if you can relate to what I'm saying at all a little bit, just a little bit so far. Okay, all right, you guys are with me then. <laughs> all right. But nevertheless, guys, you know, God, he, he expects us to be humble. You know, and this morning I want to share with you all what the Bible says as far as why God expects us to be humble towards him and towards others. And so my first point that I want to make as far as why God expects us to be humble towards him and towards others is God esteems those who are humble. God esteems those who are humble. And so hopefully you've already turned in your Bibles to Isaiah 66. Um, And so let's together read Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 4. Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 4. And I have the passage up here on the screen if you'd like to read along. It says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. We could just stop right there and just, that should humble us, right? God is saying, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man, and whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood, and whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways, and their souls delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them and will bring upon them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what despises me. And we'll stop right there. You know, so the words that we just read together are the very words of God. God, through the prophet Isaiah, was addressing the Israelites, whom we know were, were chosen by God among all the nations of the earth to have an intimate relationship with God. You know, according to Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six through nine from the Bible, Moses told the Israelites, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenants of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And so this passage from the Bible makes it clear that the people of Israel, they were chosen by God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his holy people, you know, they were called God's treasured possession. Furthermore, we know that God had given them laws which were to be fully obeyed 
in order for them to prosper as a people. And that's what happened. You know, the Israelites, they prospered because of God and they grew mightily as a people. You know, God even allowed the Israelites to build a temple for him to worship him. You know, you can you can worship me here. And they they were able to build a temple for God to be able to worship him. However, as time went by, the Israelites, they kind of they got caught up in having various ideas and presumptions about themselves. You know, they thought that they were special in and of themselves. You know, they became arrogant about the fact that they were the chosen people of God. You know, and worst of all, they became very religious, very religious. You know, they became very much focused and preoccupied with being religious. They became proud about having built a temple for God. Look what we did. We, we built this temple for God. And they got so caught up in all the religious rituals and, and customs surrounding making sacrifices to God at the temple. You know, consequently, God declared, according to Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 2, you know, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Like, I mean, you you built this temple, but (laughs) come on, God, where where is this house you built for me? You know, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. And then he says, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so God desired for the Israelites to be humble and contrite in spirit and to tremble at his very words. Instead, what God got was people who became very proud, very arrogant and very religious. You know, God declared, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, synonyms for the word esteem are words like appreciate, admire, recognize, or regard. Rather than recognizing the Israelites for being humble, all God could recognize was their pride and their their arrogance. You know, God had no appreciation or admiration for them fulfilling their, their various religious rituals and customs. Like he wasn't fired up about all that stuff. In fact, God made it clear to the Israelites how he felt about them fulfilling their various religious rituals and customs, which this, this blows me away. Like this is what God, this is the language that God uses. You know, he says, whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man and whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Like, why use that? Like, like just imagine if I had a dog up here and it's like, it's like whoa, he <laughs> just broke that dog's neck. You know what I'm saying? Like that will just make us like, what? But that's what, look what God said. He's like, hey, you're making these sacrifices. You're better off just breaking a dog's neck. You know, he says, whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. You know, them fulfilling their various religious rituals and and customs wasn't what God esteemed. In other words, fulfilling religious activities, like various religious activities, isn't what God esteems. You know, just like how people just showing up to church services on Sundays can just become this religious activity that people fulfill, right? You know, just showing up on, and it's just like, I'm going to make sure I show up on Sundays. Or or maybe there's a person that maybe just fast every Tuesday just to say, hey, I fast every Tuesday. 
You know, fulfilling various religious activities isn't what God esteems. Instead, God makes it clear that people who are altogether humble are those who he esteems. You know, God esteems those who are humble, who are contrite in their spirit. And who, when, when it comes to God's word, they, they tremble. There's this, this respect and this, this awe and just this, of course, obedience to God's word. You know, the, the Israelites were happy with being very religious and they were proud and arrogant about how religious they were. The Israelites got caught up in their various ideas and presumptions about themselves, thinking that they were, again, special in and of themselves, but that's not what God wanted to see from them. God wanted to see from them What God wanted to see from them is them being humble. And why is that? Because God esteems those who are humble. You know, when it comes to us as Christians, what does God see from us? You know, as Christians, does God see from us, us being humble? Does God see us being humble, contrite in spirit and and trembling at his word? Or, like the Israelites does God see the opposite of being humble? And, and we all know what the opposite of being humble is, right? Yes. yes. You know, the opposite of being humble is, of course, being prideful, which brings me to my second point this morning is God opposes those who are proud. And so first point was God esteems those who are humble. But let it be clear that God opposes those who are proud. You know, we just learned again, like I said, God, he esteems those who humble, who are humble, you know, but he opposes those who are proud. And, and, you know, the reality is what God sees from the majority of people on the face of this earth <laughs> is that we are prideful people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reality. You know, you know synonyms, uh, the, the, the dictionary definition of the word prideful is to have a, a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, achievements, achievements, or superiority. You know, rather than being... Humble, being prideful, when you really think about it, man, it's, it's strongly and dangerously rooted in all of our lives. Far more than many of us care to admit or even talk about. You know, and I, you know, again, I read this earlier, James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes those who are proud. You know, it needs to be clear to us that God, he opposes us when we're being prideful, whether it be towards him or towards others. And, and synonyms for the word oppose are words like to be against, to, to object, to be hostile to, to, to disapprove of. You know, simply put, you know, God, he, when you really just think about it, like, God, he can't stand people who are prideful. I mean, that's, these are some strong words, you know, to, to be against, to object. You know, God can't stand people who have a high opinion of their own dignity, importance, Achievements. Look what I've done. And superiority. You know, so why exactly can't God stand people who are prideful? Well, my best answer to that question is that God and people who are prideful are like oil and water. Meaning they just simply don't mix. (laughs) You know, God flat out never has and never will compromise with prideful people. Especially people who are prideful towards him. You know... And the the underlying reason behind people being prideful in the first place generally has to do with self-glorification and self-dependency. You know, know, self-glorification means the exaltation of oneself and one's ability. And then self-dependency is not wanting to be dependent or rely on anyone else. You know, so in other words, rather than glorify and depend on God, 
people who are prideful want to glorify and depend on themselves. You know, interestingly, God having to deal with people who are prideful, this is, this, is, this is an amazing thing. God having to deal with people who are prideful precedes even the time of Adam and Eve, who were the first humans. <laughs> Him having to deal with that. And so, turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. And you know, I know you guys are all sitting here and you're listening to me, but this is one of those sermons, because I always say the best sermons are the ones you preach to yourself first. <laughs> you know, so this, so I, you know, again, and I've preached a sermon before, but again, I'm preaching it to myself this morning. I appreciate you guys being good participants. <laughs> but yes, but Isaiah 14 from the Bible is a record of God opposing a person because they were being very prideful towards him. You know, this person had a high opinion of their own dignity, importance, achievements, and superiority. You know, perhaps you're all wondering, well, who is this person? Because I said this person precedes even Adam and Eve, the first humans. Well, this person is none other than Satan himself. You know, when the last time you had a quiet time on Satan? You know, <laughs> it's just like, you know, like we, we, don't, we don't open our Bibles and say, I just really want to learn a little bit more about Satan this morning, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, any, any commander of any army will tell you, Hey, you got to study your enemy. You got to know who you're going up against. And so sometimes we don't, we don't give Satan enough credit for just really his, his scheming and his strategies to take us down. <laughs> and we don't really take the time to really study him. And so, so we'll just have a little quick study on Satan real quick, if that's okay. But I'm going to bring it back to Jesus. We're not going to stay on Satan the rest of the sermon. It's like, I learned a lot about Satan today at church. <laughs> But, uh, but let's together read Isaiah 14, verse uh, 12 through 15. It reads, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will, ades- I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mount, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. You know, so this is an account, you know, essentially of how God opposed Satan for being prideful towards him. You know, God said that Satan said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of the sky. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You guys see a pattern there? (laughs) A lot of I and my. You know, in Satan's heart, he desired recognition and, and status equal to that of God himself. You know, Satan thought to himself, I will make myself like the Most High. Satan no longer wanted to glorify or depend on God. Satan wanted to glorify and depend on himself. And in response, in response to Satan being so prideful, God swiftly and severely, he, he, he dealt with him. You know, you know, we know this proverb, this is Proverbs 16, verse 18, but it says, the higher you lift up yourself in pride, the harder you fall in disgrace. You know, this proverb explains exactly what happened with with Satan for for being prideful towards God, whom God caused to fall from heaven all the way down to the pits of hell. 
And interestingly, Satan was in fact a heavenly being that God created, who was initially blameless. You know, I, this, this is an Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 28. And all these essentially, you know, there's, 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 there's languages, the, 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 uh, you, you know, how even Moses was like an archetype of, of, of Christ. And, and so you see in this language, essentially how, you know, this passage is referring to Satan, in fact, being a heavenly being that God created, but who was initially blameless. This is Ezekiel 28, verse 14 through 17 from the Bible. It says, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stories, I'm sorry, the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. You, Your your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you. (laughs) You know. I mean, so again, Satan was initially blameless, meaning no evil was found in him. Satan was once a pure and beautiful angelic creature who inhabited heaven. But because he became so prideful towards God, Satan essentially caused him to get kicked out of heaven. He caused himself to get kicked out of heaven. And, and if, if being prideful towards God caused Satan to get kicked out of heaven, <laughs> surely being prideful towards God will cause us you know, to not get into heaven. <laughs> you know? Cause us from getting into heaven. You know, God takes people being prideful towards him very seriously. You know, God was opposed to Satan for being so prideful in his heart towards him. And he, he didn't take Satan's pride lightly. In the same way, you and I being prideful towards God isn't something that God takes lightly. You know, God takes us being prideful towards him very seriously. You know, God takes us being self-glorifying very seriously. God takes us being self-dependent very seriously. You know, God opposes us when we're being prideful towards him and towards his will for our lives. And, and right now, as you, as, you know, are, are you someone who is being prideful towards God and his will for your life? As you really just reflect and think about, you know, a possible area of your life where you, you really are being prideful. You know, us being prideful towards God, it screams to God that we want to, to glorify and we want to just depend on ourselves. Like, God, I got life. I can figure out my life. You know, instead of really glorifying God and depending on what is God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for me in this situation? And we, we, gotta, we can't get it twisted and we can't be naive about how exactly God really feels about us being prideful towards him. I can't get it twisted. I can't be naive about how God really feels about my pride. You know, God, he opposes those who are prideful towards him or towards just people in general. You know, but exactly how can we be prideful towards God and towards others? Because, you know, I think many of you like me, we can admit to being prideful. We can all sit up here and say, yeah, I know I can be prideful. In other words, it's easy for us to say, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes struggle with pride. We've, we've said that before, right? Yeah. However, it's another thing to be able to recognize the exact situations in life yeah. in which we can be prideful towards God and towards others. Like, the, what are those specific situations? And so, to help us all with being able to recognize the exact situations in life in which we can be prideful towards God and others, I have a list of 29 classic examples. Okay? 
of how we can be prideful towards God and towards others, just to help us to really kind of see our pride, you know, in certain areas of our life. And so, so I want to I want to share these with you. And feel free as I read over these things, these examples, really quickly. Feel free to do the mm, and the groans and the you know, if you feel like something stabbing you, but really no one's stabbing you, but it's just you being convicted from like ah, ooh, you know, from that side of your body. Feel free to ooh and ah. So, so let's go over some of the classic examples. You know, so if you don't easily and quickly accept correction, you're being prideful. (laughs) Should should I stop right there? (laughs) That's right. You know, if you are more concerned about your outward appearance before others rather than your heart before God, you're being prideful. If you struggle with submitting to authority, if you can't stand being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and if it is next to impossible for you to work well with different people, you are being prideful. You know, if you overestimate your own spiritual strength and you constantly fall into the same temptations and into the same sins over and over, you're being prideful. Like, think about it, like just different times where, you know, just... You're struggling with the same things, but you think like, I can, I can work through this, but you there's just a pattern because I'm getting with you every week, brother. And it's kind of, yeah, I just need to confess this. And you confessed this last week. Like, where's the fruit of repentance? And, and you got to see our, we got to see our pride in that. You know, number five, if you neglect praying, whew, <laughs> that's, that screams self-dependence like nothing else. If I'm just lacking in prayer, you know, if you neglect praying, you're being prideful. If you talk and boast about, uh, boast a lot about yourself, <laughs> what you've done, your achievements, you're being prideful. If you don't talk enough, meaning you're sullen, withdrawn, won't open up and are guarded. Because sometimes people, they can say, well, I'm just kind of shy and I just don't know how to, I just don't do well with talking. But there's a pride in that. To not be someone who's forthcoming and open about what's really going on with you. You know, there's a pride in that. You know, if you oftentimes end up being uh, in conflicts with other people, headbutting, you know, power struggles, tension, and arguments, you're you're being prideful. Just the, you know, the Bible says, you know, what causes quarrels among you? What causes strife? Pride. You know, if you are prone to having self pity and a woe is me response during challenges in your life, we go through different things and we're just kind of just uh, just like just just me. I, I need to have a quiet time on Job because I'm just going through a lot of stuff. You know, just like that's what we do. We turn to Job. It's like we're like woe is me. Just like just, just like <laughs> you know. But there's, there's a pride in there. You know, if you are prone to boasting when successful. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. You know, you're being prideful. If you are prone to anger when you don't get your way, you are being prideful. You know, if you're prone to depression when your expectations in life aren't met, you know, there's a passage that talks about hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. And sometimes we have these different expectations and it doesn't turn out the way that we thought. And then we just kind of get into ourselves and we get depressed and really down. And, you know, why is that the case? Where where is just seeing really God, you're going to work this out. Where's the trust in God? There's pride that's there. You know, um, if you are a wife and submission, someone said, okay, that's right, that's right. I got some, that's right. But it says, if, if you're, I got something for the husband's too, don't worry. But it says, if you're a wife and submission to your husband is easy as long as you guys agree on things. 
But if you guys disagree, not so much. You're being prideful. That's right. You know, if you're a husband, I said I had some for the husbands. That's right. That's right. And loving your wife is easy as long as she is submitting and meeting your expectations. You're being prideful. You know, if you can't resist saying, this is funny, if you can't resist saying, I told you so, to people, you know, somebody does something, it's like, you just can't, I told you, you know, it's just like, like I told you, you know, it's just like, there's a little arrogance there, thinking highly of yourself and your opinion that this person should listen to you, I told you, but there's a pride that's there. If you find yourself even saying, but I'm just saying, <laughs> because you have to get your point across. <laughs> Think about it, you have a conversation with someone and and you know and they're just like we just need to do Yeah, but I'm just saying. You know, you just have to have to put your last two cents or just kind of like I'm going to put my stamp on, on as this as the person who ended this conversation, but I'm just saying. And you know. <laughs> you know, if you have to be right when the argument and get the last word in. You're being prideful. If you seldom, if ever say, I was wrong, or please forgive me, or I'm sorry, you're being prideful. That's, that, that was a struggle, especially early on in my marriage. Just, my wife, she was always the one to apologize. <laughs> and that's not a good thing, man. As, we, as brothers, we, we got to really lead the way in humility towards our wives and be like Christ and, and washing her with the word. And just, I wasn't, I wasn't the first to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And so I really needed to grow in that area. You know, if you willingly spend a lot of time alone and separate yourself from people excessively without good reason, it's just like, why don't you just want to fellowship and be around the brothers and sisters? Just kind of over here and just doing your own thing. But there's a pride there. You're being prideful, you know, because we're called to really be united and to be connected. If it's hard for you to ask for help from God or from other people, and if your motto in life is, I've got this, <laughs> I got this, I'll figure it out. You're being prideful. If you often think I deserve better than this, I shouldn't be going through that. I deserve better than this. And you're being prideful. If you lack contentment with your house, your car, your furniture, your clothes, your body, your kids, your spouse, job, friends, the church, whew, you know, everything. There's just a lack of contentment about what God has put before you and blessed you with. There's a pride there. You're being prideful. You know, if you take pride in perfectionism, no one can clean, cook, organize, or plan as good as you can. <laughs> I just, you know, I run children's ministry with the iron fist. <laughs> You're being prideful. If you often think, I could have done better than that. You know, you see somebody do something and you're like, I could have done better than that when it comes to the performance of others. You're being prideful. You know, if you feel... Like you carry around the weight of the world and there's no joy, no laughter, no freedom because you feel like everything is on you. Just like, just everything. I just feel like I got to take care of all the different, and just the weight of the world and there's just no joy coming out of you. As we just talked about sparking joy. Declutter your life of all the things that are causing you to not be joyful. You know, if you overvalue yourself and your time more than your time with others, you're being prideful. You know, if you really get impatient with people who are late because you pride yourself in being on time, <laughs> if not early, you know, that's, that's, like, that's like, it's like, bro, we said, we, we said 10 o'clock, <laughs> you know, you know, but it's the opposite too. Cause it's just like, man, bro, why are you always late? <laughs> well, you know, that's a chronic tardiness. There's a pride there too. Like 
come on, let's stick to our commitment. So it goes both ways. You know, if you hold grudges, meaning it's hard for you to forgive others, not because they wronged God, but because they wronged you, you are being prideful. And number 29, if you feel that you don't tend to be prideful in any situations I just listed, (laughs) you're being prideful. (laughs) This is like, like, bro, I'm good. I I don't struggle with none of that. And so, brothers and sisters, if you, if you recognize situations in your life in which you can truly be prideful, like situations, different areas, towards God and towards others, you know, if you obviously know that you can be very prideful, so this is something that we got to understand. Understand that you've learned to be prideful from none other than Satan himself, who has become the prince of this world since being kicked out of heaven. And this, was a, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, our foolish pride comes from this world. And so do our selfish desires and our desires to have everything we see. None of this comes from the Father. None of this comes from God. Our foolish pride doesn't come from God. Rather, our foolish pride comes from this world. And so do our selfish desires and our desire to have everything we see. And if you recognize situations in your life in which you, you're truly prideful towards God and others, you got to understand that you've learned to be prideful. We've learned, we've all learned to be prideful from none other than Satan himself, who has become the prince of this world since getting kicked out of heaven because of his pride. And so what's going to help us to not be prideful as Satan has taught us to be, but to be humble as God expects us to be? Well, my third and final point this morning, guys, is Jesus' example is meant to help us to be humble. Jesus' example is meant to help us to be humble. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the ultimate example of what it means to be humble. You know, Jesus ultimately shows us how to be humble towards God and towards others. And, and in his letter to the church in Philippi, you know, many of us, we know this passage, but the Apostle Paul, he gives us advice. According to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, he says... If there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You know, when it comes to Jesus, the son of God, he left the splendor and majesty of heaven voluntarily, (laughs) voluntarily. In other words, he wasn't kicked out of heaven like Satan was. Jesus left the splendor and majesty of heaven voluntarily and he took on human flesh to be born in a manger filled with farm animals. (laughs) Talk about, you know, (laughs) a step down. (laughs) You know, 
And as a human like us in every way, Jesus didn't grow and become prideful towards God and towards others. As a human like us in every way, he didn't become self-glorifying and self-dependent like all of us other human beings have become. You know, he didn't strive to be self-sufficient or exhibit any degree of personal self-interest, you know. But instead, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, it says he gave up his divine privileges. Like, what, is, what does it even mean to have divine privileges? <laughs> but he, he, he gave that up. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And then Paul spells out pretty clearly that we should have the same attitude. Like, what should our attitude be like? We should have the same attitude as Jesus when it comes to our lives. You know, we too, like Jesus, we should be humbling ourselves in obedience to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, like Jesus, our lives should consist of of service and wanting to, to, you know, service and obedience and, and, and sacrifice. You know, we should be seeking the good of others, not just the good of ourselves. But man, what gets in the way of us doing that? Our pride. And we should be willing to lay down our rights. And, you know, coming from America and it's just like, oh, we, we, we know our rights and my right and I got my right. You know, we so caught up in what are our rights. But Jesus, he laid down his rights and his privileges in order that, you know, we may glorify and show love towards others by looking to his example of how he gave up his rights. And, you know, the Bible clearly and repeatedly tells us, you know, the purpose of our lives as Christians and our reason for being alive is for what? To glorify God and to love others. That's our purpose. But unless we humble ourselves like Jesus and stop being so prideful, unless I stop being so prideful, you know, we and I, I won't live out, you know, what God created me for. We won't, we won't live out what God created us for, brothers and sisters. We won't live out the kind of marriages we were created to have. God created us to have amazing marriages. He, he created marriage. <laughs> and then we wonder why there's so much quarreling and fighting and just going back and forth as husbands and wives. It's because of our pride getting in the way of us having the kind of marriage that God wants us to have. You know, instead of us being prideful, you know, that's what, you know, with us being proud, that's what prevents us from living the way that we were created to live. And so Jesus' example is meant to help us, brothers and sisters, to be humble towards God and towards others. And when you're tempted to be prideful towards God and towards others, do you, do you look to Jesus' example? Because that's what we got to do. That's what I have to do. You know, or do you readily follow Satan's example? <laughs> you know, and act prideful as he would towards God and towards others. He shows us how to do that really, really well. When we look to Jesus' example, though, we can learn how to be humble. We can, we can learn how to overcome temptation and the struggle to be prideful towards God and towards others. You know, Jesus' example is there to help us. The fact is, when we as Christians are tempted and struggling with our pride, it's only because we aren't looking to Jesus' example to help us. It's plain and simple. When I'm struggling to be humble towards my wife concerning an issue in our marriage, it's only because I'm not looking to Jesus' example. <laughs> Of how to, to respond to her and how to respond the correct way. His example is meant to help us. When you're tempted to be prideful towards God and towards others, do you look to Jesus' example to help you? And so in conclusion, you know, let it be clear to us as Christians, God, he, he expects us to be humble. God expects us to be humble. He esteems those who are humble. 
When it comes to your life, does God see you as someone who, who strives to be humble towards him and towards others? Like, does he see that? You know, do you, do you strive to be humble in the sight of God? This idea of living in view of God. Do you strive to be humble towards your spouse in the sight of God? Do you strive to be humble towards your children in the sight of God? You know, do you strive to be humble towards family members? Our family, you know, just, just sometimes we can go on holiday or what have you, and we kind of, we kind of, kind of, Throw Christianity out the window sometimes, right? We get around family, but just striving to be humble. You know, do we strive to be humble towards brothers and sisters in Christ in the sight of God? You know, do you recognize the situations in your life where you can be absolutely prideful? And if so, are you working to overcome your pride? And so to end my sermon, brothers and sisters, the last thing I want to share is just a few Bible verses that speak to the promises that God has made to people who are humble towards him. And these are very encouraging verses. You know, Matthew chapter 18, verse 14 says, The greatest person in the kingdom of heaven is the one who makes himself humble. Luke chapter 14, verse 11, All those who lift themselves up will be made humble, and those who make themselves humble will be lifted up. James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6, God opposes the proud, but he helps everyone who is humble. Be humble in the presence of God's mighty power, and he will honor you when the time comes. Psalm 62, verse 32, the humble will see God at work. We, don't we want to see God at work in our lives? Like, we want to see God do amazing things to our families and just through the people that we're trying to reach out to. But the humble will see God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. And then lastly, Psalm 149, verse 4, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. He crowns the humble with salvation. And so God expects us to be humble, brothers and sisters. These are lessons that I'm learning uh, as I really strive to be humble before my great God. Let's all strive to be humble towards God and towards others in our personal lives. You know, thanks for the opportunity to speak to you all, Auckland Church. Amen. And to God be the glory.